Oliton. And this is a great book. You can get it off Amazon, but I want to recommend it to you. It's simply called um, The Bible, A Story That Makes Sense of Life. Bear Grill says, honest, revealing insight into the best-selling book of all time. Tom Holland, who is, the, if you are a, a history bud, a brilliant historian, says, a, a stimulating and accessible survey of history's most influential book. Pretty much every historian in the world uh, admits, even if they're secular, as he is, that actually the Bible has been and still is the most influential book in the world. And uh, it's still the world's bestseller, incidentally. Not the best giveaway, the bestseller, uh, you know, in the world every single year, outstripping every book by multi-millions of purchases. And so, uh, you know, it really is. It's a remarkable book, and it's a miracle book. Uh, as Derek Prince said years ago, uh, you know, he said uh, part of his journey to coming to Christ was he took, he took with him a Bible out to the Middle East when he still had to do military service in England. And they were only allowed to take one book with him, and he was a chair of philosophy at Cambridge, and, uh, and an atheist, actually, at the time. But he said that he, he decided he would take a Bible with him and read it as a work of philosophy. But he said six weeks into reading it, he made the he said, unsettling uh, discovery that he wasn't reading it, but it was reading him. And, uh, and he said, actually, he said a couple of days later, Jesus physically, as a, it just literally manifested himself. He was ill, and he was uh, at that time, and uh, he said, he just suddenly, he said, Jesus literally walked into the barracks. And you have to know Derek Prince, I had the privilege of knowing him a little, but he made the statement then, he said that, uh, and my life was irrevocably and eternally changed. And, uh, and thank God for his ministry through the years. But anyway, Andrew is a brilliant theologian and writer and great preacher. And, uh, and anyway, uh, works for the Bible Society. And he's, this is a great book. He just begins this in chapter five on origins and human purpose. He talks about what was our original vocation in life. And he really, uh, I think it's excellent the way he, he begins with a story addressing this issue. What does success look like? according to Genesis. What does it look like according to the Bible? And he uses this illustration. American rifle shooter Matt Emmons was one shot away from winning his second gold medal at the 2004 Olympic Games. He was so far ahead, his bullet just needed to hit the target, anywhere on the target, to win. With nerves of steel, he took a deep breath and pulled the trigger. Bullseye. But when Emmons looked at the scoreboard, no lights appeared. Nothing registered. The judges came over and questions were asked. Did the gun misfire? Was the scoreboard broken? None of the above. It turns out that Emmons hit the wrong target. Standing in lane two, he had fired at the target for lane three. He couldn't have been more accurate but all in the wrong direction. Nil points. Wow. So here's a powerful illustration, isn't it? Success can be defined in so many different ways in the world. And we can achieve so much that has apparent success in the eyes of this world. But in the words of Jesus Christ, if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul, what does it profit you? What is life really all about? Believe it or not, there was a time, and, and uh, Jared can remember these days too, because he, uh, he was like years ago. I, I, can you believe it? Actually, I was a youth worker years ago. Can you believe that? I, I, I know. And, uh, but the truth is, I, I turned 54 last month. And, um, uh, you know, I look back, I started full-time in Christian ministry when I was 19. And I was, a, I was a youth evangelist working with Good News Crusade, as it was in those days. I used to love to go into the sixth form colleges and up and down this country. And, and when I would go into the sixth form colleges and, and the guys doing their A-levels, I used to love to ask the guys, you know, just to get to know them a bit, find out what they were doing, what their plans were for life. And, uh, you know, you'd always have some brave lad who would stand up and say, well, he said, I, I'm going to get three A stars or four A stars and, uh, and I'm going to go to Cambridge or I'm going to go to Oxford and I'm going to do a degree in X, Y, and Z and get a first. And I said, wow, fantastic. That's great. And, and what then? And then he said, well, then I, I'm going to get myself a, a job in the city in London and, and I'm going to make my millions. I said, wow, that's impressive. And uh, what then? I said, well, I'm going to find myself the most gorgeous girl I can and we're going to get married. I said, that's great. And what then? 
well, you know, we'll have kids and, uh, you know, it'll be fantastic, great fun raising them. And I said, great, fantastic. And uh, what then? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, well, they'll grow up and, and I guess I'll retire. Uh, yeah, okay, uh, fantastic. And, and uh, what then? <laughs> well, I, I, I guess uh, we'll do cruises around the world and uh, we'll do that kind of stuff. And great, and what then? Well, I, I guess I'll die. And uh, what then? And the whole room would go very quiet. And I would say, guys, what's this really all about? You know, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. And God has designed that we would live this life with divine purpose, living to please the one who made us. He created us with purpose, with dignity, Made in his image, people matter to God. You matter to God. Your life is important. Psalm 139, verse 13 to 16 says he even wrote a book about your life. He's designed you with, with divine purpose. And you know, you can fill your heart with so much and the world can keep you so busy. And yet at the end of the day, you can feel so empty. But the Lord has purpose for your life. And it's so important at this time in, in the UK and where actually there's an immense openness to the gospel. And I would say it's so important that the church at this time remembers to make the main thing the main thing. We really need to do that. Do you know um, there is something called the Talking Jesus Project uh, and, and it's, uh, there's a survey taken every seven years in the UK, been done for a few years now. About seven years ago, it's a typical survey, about 2,000 people uh, around the United Kingdom are asked questions about, about Jesus, what they think about Jesus, and uh, you know whether they're willing to have a conversation about him and the big issues of life. Uh, seven years ago, this, that survey was done across the UK, and one in every five people in our country were willing to have a discussion about Jesus and continue the conversation after an initial one. Well, it was done two months ago in this country, two, three months ago, and uh, you know, it's now one in every three people are willing to do that. Now, I know that doesn't sound so impressive, but let me just say that's gone up by millions. So, and that really does reflect something of what we've been experiencing as a ministry ourselves in the UK uh, over the last few years, where actually we found that the numbers of people responding to the gospel has jumped up by 30, 40% at least. People coming to Christ, miracles happening on the streets, uh, amazing things. We've seen thousands. This has been a great year personally for us, which we just really thank God for. Thousands have come to Christ in the UK, thousands overseas. And amazing miracles as well. But you know, I really feel it's vital that we return to realizing it, it's not about buildings. It's not about uh, all, all of the different projects and all, the, all of these different things. But, but really, again, coming back to the main thing, loving Jesus, loving one another, worship and prayer, equipping the church in word and spirit, evangelism and discipleship. Folks, the King is coming back. And there really is no time to waste. We need to, the Bible says, redeem the time because the days that we're living in are evil. Uh, how many of us could say an amen to that? That is so true. And all that we're seeing around the world and the escalation of, uh, you know, of the threats of war and exactly what Jesus predicted and said, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and all of these things in so many places. But Jesus said, when you see these things, don't let your heart be troubled. The world may be troubled, but don't let your heart be troubled. Because though you may be in the world, you're not of the world. You're of the kingdom of heaven. And the king of the kingdom is coming back to, to rescue his bride and bring us back to reign with him. Glory to God. So there really is no time to waste. There's been amazing miracles. I would say we've seen an, uh, an increase of miracles this year. An increase of people getting out of wheelchairs, of blind seeing and deaf hearing, and wonderful miracles. An increase, actually, uh, the team so far, including myself, have seen three resurrections so far this year. Um, after a while, I think over the years, we've seen 13 people raised from the dead, but three of those have been this year. And, I, and I'm not going to talk about my ones. We've got some younger children around here and some of the circumstances in which uh, particularly one of them was raised. Uh, I don't want to cause fear uh, to any because uh, some of the places we go, sometimes there are some, yeah, sometimes some interesting circumstances. So, um, so but I'm going to tell you uh, very quickly about two, one that happened two months ago. A member of our team, Luis, he's an Argentinian, but he lives in this country and has done for 13 years. He is an NHS physio. 
and, uh, and he works down in, uh, in Woking, and, uh, and that area, Woking, Woking, around there. And, and, um, and he's a physio, but he's also a chaplain working there for the NHS. And, um, and actually, this, earlier this year, uh, while working on somebody who had a major accident, the medical world said it was highly unlikely he would ever walk again. He was in a wheelchair, and he was under Luis's care as the senior physio there. And when everybody else was out of the room, uh, he realized how naturally impossible it was for this guy through physio to walk again. Um, he just said to him, listen, I can tell you right now, your odds of actually being able to walk naturally are a tiny percentage. But I want to tell you right now, he said that there is a God in heaven, and actually I represent him. And the Bible says, if I lay hands on you in the name of Jesus, you'll get better. So look, can I have permission for from you right now to put my hands on your body and pray for you. He prayed for him and then helped him up and the guy began to walk around totally healed by the power of God. Well, the testimony of that, the doctors couldn't believe it, but they couldn't deny it. Uh, it, it went like wildfire news all around the hospital because it was medically confirmed as a miracle. And then two months ago, uh, they had a guy in who had had serious COVID. It affected his heart, long COVID and all of that. And he died, medically confirmed died or everything flatline. And everybody is around there. Um, they wondered what to do and all this. And one of the nurses suddenly suggested, since a few months earlier, a guy who wasn't supposed to walk was now walking around the hospital. They said, someone called. Luis. <laughs> now Luis goes in there suddenly and he said to me later, John, it was like something just took over me. The Holy Spirit just took over and I found myself, I just put my hand on the chest and totally is, is like, it's like I was blind to everybody around me and I just spoke life in Jesus' name over this guy and suddenly, boom, the heart just suddenly started going like this and the guy came back to life. Well, uh, the next thing you know is he is being summoned into the senior consultant's office who is a Muslim and cannot accept <laughs> that Jesus has done this. But he said to him, you have caused me now a major problem because I cannot deny. He said, I have written up this guy's certificate. This guy is medically confirmed dead. There was no chance of him being revived. And right in front of our eyes, there was no medical intervention. You put your hand and said, life in Jesus' name. And he's come back to life. And he says, what am I supposed to make of that? He said, Jesus is alive. He is the son of God. <laughs> and he said, you know, I don't believe that. They said, I know you don't, but it's time you did. He said, you cannot deny. <laughs> Bless Louise, he's very bold. But Jesus is doing miracles in the United Kingdom. And he is doing wonderful things. And so I want to really encourage you. It's so important that we embrace God's call afresh to go out and to share the good news of Jesus with others. And I'm not just talking here about evangelism like going on the streets, so thank God for that. And that's one aspect, and evangelism that is events and all of that. There's also, of course, a good place for that, and we do plenty of it. But I'm talking about actually just in your day-to-day -day life, praying and looking for opportunities and taking them as they arise because actually you will be in places where I'm not uh, necessarily allowed to go. And wherever you are down your street, you're God's representative there. You know, at a time when, when actually the UK is more open to God and the gospel than at any time in my history as an evangelist in 35 years full time and, and at a time when many pastors after, after the COVID season and the pandemic are still trying to get people back into church building Buildings, our biggest danger is that we would miss the openness that there is to Jesus that is out in our communities and out in our country. People are looking for answers. People are crying out for help. And Jesus is the only one who is our ultimate help. He is the answer for the world today, as Andre Crouch, Crouch once sang years ago. And we've been having amazing things, sometimes even experiencing just walking up to people. This has happened in our, in our own country in missions this year, where suddenly we meet someone who's standing still in the middle of a high street. And one of our guys goes up to him and says, are you all right, sir? He, he says, I don't know if this sounds crazy to you. A guy in perfect sound mind, but standing there and saying, um, I was at my mother's um, graveside. And he said, I lost my mum recently to COVID or to this, that or the other. And, and in this case, it was. And he said, uh, I feel suicidal. I, I, it's like I want to take my own life. 
I feel like there's no purpose. There's no reason to live anymore. He said, but a voice spoke to me and said, go and stand in the high street and someone will come up to you who will help you. And this has happened to us on a number of occasions this year. And then suddenly the guy said, well, I'm your man and I'll come to help you. Come with me. Let's have a coffee and let's have a talk. Jesus helped me when I was in a similar situation and led him to Christ. You know, and this kind of thing has been happening to us repeatedly. God is at work in our world. God is moving and he's moving out there and he's calling us to go and share the good news with others. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, the great apostle Paul said that when he considered the cross, the fact that Jesus died for everyone and therefore salvation belongs to everyone in the sense that it's available for all. He's paid for all of our sins and is risen from the dead. And therefore, if we'll believe in him, we can all be saved. Everybody can have a new life and purpose and destiny and eternity with God forever. He says when he, when he considers that, his heart is gripped by the love of God to live for Christ and to tell others about Christ. He uses the word compelled. In the Greek language, it's suniko, and it means to be held in an inescapable grip. It's the word that was used when the soldiers came and arrested Jesus, or when demons or disease gripped people. But in every use of the word, there's a sense of constraint. And he says, I consider the great love of God for the world, and it constrains me to live for Christ and proclaim Christ to other people wherever I am. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, he says this. And this really is the theme of my message. At a time when Jesus is doing his best to turn the church inside out. And many are still trying to hold on to their forms and structures. And Jesus is trying to get us out there. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God to save everyone who believes. And the Greek says to save, heal, deliver, make whole and free from apprehension and fear everyone who believes. What an amazing message. The power in the message itself. Billy Graham, the great American evangelist who's now with the Lord oh, over the last three years, he, he made this statement, he said, whenever I stand up, to preach the gospel in his big gospel campaigns he did in stadiums around the world. He said, I'm depending on the voice behind my voice. There's great power in that. In Romans chapter one, the Bible says that people suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They know the gospel is true, but actually many people suppress the truth so that they can continue just living life their own way. Even though most people, as they go on through life, realise that there are consequences to their actions and life is basically a sowing and reaping mechanism. And what you sow, you reap. And as the evangelist who trained me used to say, if you don't like what you're reaping, change what you're sowing. <laughs> so it's time to turn around and, and, and to follow the Lord. Uh, you know, Jesus is really calling us to proclaim the gospel because the gospel is the power of God to save lives. I, I can remember... Even, even years ago, a, a guy who helped establish the church I was raised in years ago, he was a New Zealand guy, a missionary. He spent many years ministering in India. And India is famous for a lot of things, not just their curries, but also long train journeys. And I've been on a few. And he was on a particular long train journey that was 13 hours long. Can you imagine that? 13 hours long. Well, he spent 13 hours in, in one of the apartments in that train, traveling with a high caste Hindu priest. And they sat together and for 12 of those hours, they debated together the differences and similarities between Christianity and Hinduism. At the end of, of 12 hours, the high caste Hindu priest looks at him and says to him, John, it has been very interesting to debate and discuss with you the similarities and differences between Christianity and Hinduism. But at the end of 12 hours, I have to ask you this question. What makes your Jesus right and my Vishnu wrong? At that moment, John said, it was one of those moments where you hear yourself say. Have you ever had those moments? <laughs> And the Holy Spirit suddenly speaks through you and you, you really kind of, sometimes that happens to me, I want to get a pen and pen. I just said, well, that was good order. I let that down. It wasn't, where was that come from? But, 
but he suddenly heard himself say these words, because there is a little voice on the inside of you that says it so. The high priest of Hinduism went very quiet and then said, I cannot deny that. The truth is, he said to us in all the years, 40, 50 years he spent traveling around the world, preaching the gospel to people of all different religions and isms, he said he never found anyone who in all honesty could deny that. That there's an internal knowing in every human heart when people hear the truth about Jesus, that actually what they're hearing is the truth. Amen. So I want to say to you today, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to come back to that verse in Romans 1.16 in a few moments at the end of this message. But three simple points I want to say. Other than absolutely it is true, it is right, and it is the power of God to save us. But I want to say to you, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Number one, because of who He is. Because of who Jesus is. Because if Jesus is not who he says he is, then you can forget what he has said. Is that not true? It's Jesus' virgin birth and it is his death on the cross and his resurrection that makes him stand out and not only his miracles, but his virgin birth, his death, his resurrection, make him stand out beyond, far above any and every religion or religious leader on the face of the planet and in the history of the world. He is unique. And the statements he made about himself are also unique. I am the way, the truth and the life. We hear a lot today, it's popular to talk about your truth and my truth. Guys, I'm really not interested in my truth. <laughs> my opinions died with me years ago. I, I find a, 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 sometimes out on the streets, people walk up to me and say, can I ask you, what do you think about LGBT? I said, oh, quite honestly, why well, I think it didn't really matter two hoots. <laughs> I said, my opinions died with me, you know, years ago. And in fact, so did yours. <laughs> so, you know, I don't really, I'm not too interested about your opinions and I'm not really interested in my own. They don't really count for anything. They're not going to change anyone's life. What really matters is God's Word. But if you'd like to know what, what the Bible says about it, what God has to say about it, why don't we, I can give you a few verses and, and maybe you'd like to go away and consider them. But it's actually what God says. That's what matters. My opinions will be dead and gone in a matter of years, but, but His Word abides forever. I've always felt that, you know, you want the best out of life, follow the Maker's instructions. Here we go. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, now I've been there, it's quite a place, right by the seaside in Israel. He asked his disciples saying, who do men say? Notice the, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? It's a very, very interesting expression. Son of Man was Jesus' favourite uh, uh, favorite name for himself. And it's not actually him saying that he is the son of a man, because actually he's the son of God. But what he's actually doing, it's a messianic term. It, as we see in Daniel chapter 7, verse 15, the Bible says the prophet Daniel looked and he saw one like the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven and, and, and drawing near to the ancient of days, etc. He's talking about the Messiah. So he is self-identifying as the Messiah prophesied by Daniel and others in the Old Testament. It says, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. All great men, but none of them the unique Son of God and none of them the Messiah. It's actually a remarkable place because there in Caesarea Philippi, they had what they called a great pantheon. The Romans built this. It was like a big stone display cabinet. You might have one in your home. You know, where you put up your favourite china or glass. Well, whenever the Romans conquered a nation, they would put up the idols of the gods of that, that nation up into a big stone display case as a sort of like a mockery saying that Rome is greater than your gods. And Jesus stands here with all of the gods of the nations behind him and he says, who do men say that I, the Messiah, am? Very powerful. And he says to them, and this is more important, but who do you say that I am? Your answer to that question will change your life forever. Your answer to that question and the world's answer to that question 
changes the very destiny of the world. It changes the destiny of every human life. Who do you say that Jesus is? Well, who did God say that He is? Well, in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, when Jesus was being baptised, the Spirit of God came down like a dove upon Jesus and rested upon Him, and a voice was heard from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God said that He was His Son. Only one chapter later than Matthew 16, in Matthew 17, in verse 5, it says, while Jesus, sorry, while Peter was still speaking, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. So God says that he is his son. Well, what did Jesus say about himself? Well, in, in Mark chapter 14 and verse 62, when Jesus is standing up to be, is there being judged and being judged by the Jewish leaders, they say to them, tell us, says, stop holding us in suspense. Are you the Messiah, the promised one? At that moment, he says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And at that, he was crucified, killed for blasphemy because a man declared himself to be God. Amazing. In Matthew chapter, sorry, in John chapter 8, verse 58, the Pharisees and the Sadducees say to him, Are you just 30 years old and you claim to have seen Abraham? And Jesus looks at them and says these remarkable words Before Abraham was, I am. And use the Hebrew name of God. Wow. I would have loved to, to be there at that moment and see his eyes flash as he said it. Well, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus Christ is the son of God. His death and his resurrection were unique. He bore the sins of the world upon himself. The whole sky, which actually history records outside of the Bible as well as the Bible itself, the whole sky grew black, black with sin, black with the demonic. As the Son of God cried out, It is finished. The full price of the sin of humanity was paid for. The curse of the law was broken. He bore away our sicknesses, diseases and pains, our shame, our rejection. He died that we might live. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of who Jesus is. Number two, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of what he came to do. In Luke chapter four, verse 18 and 19, Jesus stood up and declared, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus is still in the business today of setting captives free of healing the blind, opening the eyes of blind people, healing the sick, healing broken hearts. Thank God He's the God who restores lives. Amen. You may look back on your life and think, I wish I hadn't done X, Y, and Z. And most people look back at their life and, and if they could have their life again, they would do some things differently. Is that not true? But the wonderful thing is Jesus gives us the opportunity to come to Him and be restored and have a new beginning. We can't do anything about our past, but Jesus can. Jesus can step in and he can change our lives. I can remember just as a, by means of a, a testimony of a, a personal friend that before I went full-time in the ministry, my family and I befriended a man called Alan. This is back in Surrey where I was born and raised. And I can remember that Alan, Alan was desperate for a job 
And uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't very well qualified. He had a, a rough upbringing and uh, life was very difficult. School was very difficult. And um, he left with pretty much no qualifications to his name. And so jobs were never easy for him. And uh, anyway, he eventually found a job. as the only one he could get to become a publican. Now, uh, he wasn't an alcoholic or anything uh, when he started the job. And like most people, he thought, well, that's fine. I can handle my drink and all the rest of it. But actually, he started drinking. And uh, he started taking of that alcohol every day. And he got to a place where it was so bad that he was in and out of, uh, of different drying out centers six times. He got to a place he could not function without a liter of vodka to start his day. That's a lot of vodka. He was in a terrible state. He got to a place that his liver was so shot that finally the doctor said to him, if you don't stop drinking, Alan, you'll be dead in three months. You've only got one liver and that's it. And I know we're getting, in those days, we'd connected a bit with some of the guys from Raymer in South Africa and, uh, and, and Ray McCauley. We invited Ray McCauley to come over today, a church of 29,000 in, in Johannesburg. And Ray came and he preached for us down in Sutton uh, at the St. Nicholas Center down there at the theater. And, um, and I'll never forget, the place was packed out and Ray shared his testimony. In those days, he was third, number three, Mr. Universe. And, uh, and he used to go around sharing the gospel in South Africa in his underpants, flexing his muscles. Uh, you know, with Cliff Richard doing the music before he did the flexing his muscles and giving his testimony. And it, and it was a great draw, you know, and then they would tell him all about Jesus. <laughs> So anyway, the thing about it is he stood up, he gave his testimony, he preached the gospel. And, um, and my goodness, there was a powerful anointing on Ray as he would give that appeal. And the first guy down the front was Alan. And Alan gave his life to Christ that night. And I'll never forget because at that moment, Ray, not knowing Alan from Adam, <laughs> suddenly pointed him out and said to him, sir, I don't know what this is about, but Jesus wants to say to you today, never again. Do you know from that moment to this, and this is now 36 years ago, Alan has never touched a drop of alcohol. He was totally and instantly delivered and completely healed by the power of God. That's our Jesus. And it's the message the world needs to hear. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. He's seeking the lost. Sometimes we can think that somebody, maybe a, a child who's gone astray or something, has gone so far away. You can kind of think that they're almost beyond redemption. You think, oh, there's no way that anybody like that could be saved. Or nobody like that could come back to the Lord. That's too far gone. Thank God no one is too far gone for Jesus. He is seeking the lost today. So I am not ashamed of the gospel because of who he is. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of what he came to do. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of what he accomplished. I'm going to read you 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 5. And Paul the Apostle, who again once was a, a terrible persecutor of the church, and then had an encounter with the risen Jesus, and became perhaps its greatest apostle ever. Moreover, brothers and sisters, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. In other words, if you didn't believe the truth in the first place. But here is the truth of the gospel. I deliver to you first of all, or as of first importance, that which I, uh, which I delivered to you, which I received that number one, that Christ died for our sins in fulfillment of the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins. There are certain groups out there that believe that Jesus died for your sins up to the point to which you were saved. And then after that, you just kind of got to prove it that you are truly saved. Can I just say, the Bible doesn't say, Christ died for your pre-conversion sins. Thank goodness. Otherwise, there wouldn't be hope, hope for any of us. Christ died for our sins, full stop. That means all the way from the, the first sin of Adam, all the way to the last sin to be committed before Christ returns. Jesus paid for our sins. 
And the wonderful thing is the more you let your heart embrace that wonderful truth of grace and of the gift of righteousness, it empowers you to overcome sin and live a victorious life because you don't want to sin against the lover of your soul. You love him. And the Bible says, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. What a savior. Christ died for our sins in fulfillment of the scriptures and that he was buried. That's really important to state that. Jesus was buried. The Romans were specialists at death. They went round breaking the shins of every one of those guys, the two guys that were either side of Jesus to make sure that then they would collapse and they couldn't push themselves up again to, to gasp for breath and they would die by asphyxiation. But when they came to Jesus, they found he was dead already and they didn't break his bones. Just as Isaiah prophesied 600 years before with piercing accuracy, none of his bones shall be broken. They took him down and they buried him in the tomb. They stuck a spear before they took him down just to make sure into his side, which pierced in and blood and water flowed out from a broken heart. And they put him behind what would have been at least a one and a half ton stone and sealed it with the Roman emperor's seal. Incidentally, if you know anything about history, I studied history and you know, no one broke a Roman emperor's seal because to, be, to break a Roman emperor's seal, the penalty was to be crucified upside down. Your guts would flow into your mouth. No one broke a Roman emperor's seal. But three days later, you can't hold a good man down. Jesus rose from the dead. And as somebody rightly said, that the angels rolled the stone back not to let Jesus out, but to let the disciples in. He walked right through that stone. He had a resurrection body. I'm looking forward to getting mine. <laughs> wow, it's made for both realms. You can suddenly disappear into glory and yet come back and enjoy McDonald's. It's fantastic. <laughs> Jesus sat and had fish with them, didn't he? The Hebrew version of fish and chips. <laughs> I can imagine they, he, they had all the windows closed and, all, and the doors closed and they're for fear of the Jews and Jesus suddenly walked right through the wall in front of them and they all go, <gasps> and while they're still gasping, Jesus, as if to bring them down there, to ground, just says, um, do you have anything to eat here? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I love that the Bible is so exact the way it says it and they all looked on in wonder <laughs> while he ate. Amazing. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He was died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day in fulfillment of the Scriptures. And he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brothers at once, of whom the greater part remain alive to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And then he says he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and last of all, seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles." And I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because as it was for Paul, Christ has changed my person, my nature, my heart and Christ has changed my purpose I'm not ashamed of Christ Jesus said if you confess me before men I will confess you before my father in heaven if you don't confess me before men I will not confess you before my father is one of the scriptures that first got me sharing the gospel I was in my teens, I was everybody's mate at school. I was good at sports and it was an all boys school. And if you're good at sports in the boys school, you're everybody's mate. And everybody knew I was a Christian. They respected the fact that I didn't swear and carry on like some of the other guys. But, but the fact was, was that neither was I pushing anybody's buttons by taking a clear stand for Jesus. I wasn't telling anyone about the Lord. And it's a command. 
It's a commission. I didn't start preaching the gospel because I felt called to be an evangelist. That came later. I started preaching the gospel because I read the Great Commission in the scriptures. I said, oh, that's obviously what we're supposed to do as Christians. And I just started trying to do it. I wasn't very good at it at first. I must admit, I, I felt like I was just telling people off. But, you know, but after a while, I, I learned and uh, learned more about sharing the good news. <laughs> and of course, this is the good news. That Jesus died for all of our sins and we can be forgiven. We can get free of that burden of guilt and shame. We can live life with a skip in our step, with joy in our hearts, with peace and with purpose. Purpose beyond the nine to five grind at work. Knowing actually that all we do takes on a new divine purpose because all that we do, we do for the glory of God. It provides also an opportunity to tell others why we do what we do. Why we give the way we do. Why we love, why we forgive. Why we choose to bless and serve others. Why we choose to shine the light of his kindness to others. And why we share the gospel. Why instead of collapsing under pressure, we rise up and we pray and we see God break through. And even when we do go through trying times or times of sorrow, we still know his strength inside, his presence, his peace and his comfort enabling us to overcome another day because ultimately we know we're going to reign forever with him and this life is not all there is to living so I want to ask you today I'm not ashamed of the gospel are you? I hope not it changed my life yes at school I quickly discovered who my friends were and who they weren't but I also had the joy of leading around close to 80 to 100 of those boys to the Lord, some of whom who are now on the mission field. And then Jesus appeared to me when I was 17 and called me to preach the gospel, and that's what I spent my last 35 years doing around the world. But here today, as we bring this message to a close, I want to say this, none of us knows our future, but we do have now. And God speaks to us prophetically of our future. He'll speak into your heart when you know the Lord, you can walk closely with him and you, he'll speak into your heart and, and show you vision and purpose for your life. But here's the thing. I want to just wrap this up by saying, although Jesus has done all of these wonderful things for us and has paid the price for our sins and has risen from the dead, and that means eternal life is possible for every human being, a relationship with God, to know that you're not alone in life. Even if you're just by yourself, you're not alone because the Lord is with you. But to receive that and to have that, the Bible says this, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and if you confess, see how personal it is, then you will be saved. I like to say to people, there's lots I can do for you as a Christian minister, if you like. I can pray for you. I can see God bring healing into your body. I, I can see him turn situations around in your life. I can give you some wisdom and encouragement from the scriptures, I comfort you when, when, if, when you're down and going through tough times or, or help you practically if you're struggling. There's lots of things that I can do for you as a Christian minister, but there's some things that I can't do for you that you can only do for yourself. I cannot repent for you. You have to do your own repenting to God, which means you have to take responsibility for your own life and say, Lord, I've sinned. Please forgive me. I need a savior. I, I can't do your believing for you. You have to do your own believing that Jesus is God's son, that he died for your sins and rose again from the dead. And I have, you have to do your own confessing to confess that Jesus is Lord. I can't do that for you. But when you do do it, what I can guarantee to you is that you will encounter Jesus. You will be forgiven. You will have, you will receive the gift of eternal life in a relationship with God. And today, you know, you may feel like you have, um, you know, that perhaps you've lived a very good life. You may feel that you don't need forgiveness. I've actually met a few people like that. It's quite stunning and amazing to meet people who don't feel that they need any forgiveness. I feel I've needed lots of forgiveness through life. The truth about it is the Bible's testimony is true. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Timothy Keller, a brilliant writer, uses this illustration. He said, imagine you have two swimmers. One of them is an Olympic swimmer 
And he can swim 13 miles nonstop. And the other one can only swim 100 meters. They both want to swim the British, the, the British Channel, English Channel. So they go down to the south coast on a particular day. They both jump, plop, in they go. And they start swimming like crazy. 100 meters in, one of the guys goes glug, glug, glug. That's the end of him. The other guy carries on for 13 miles. But you see, the English Channel is 26 miles. And so after 13 miles, he too goes glug, glug, glug. You know, they both had different abilities. They both have a different record. But it didn't help either of them. Neither of them had the capacity to cross to the other side. Thank God there is one who can rescue us. Thank God there is a saviour, Jesus. And he has bridged the gap that we can't bridge. The price of sin is not good behaviour. The price of sin is death. And that's why Christ paid it. He paid what you and I couldn't pay. And the Bible talks about death. It's not just talking about physically popping your clogs. There is a hell to avoid. And there's a heaven to gain. And today, if you're in this place and you say, John, I don't know Jesus. I'm not sure my sins are forgiven or that I'm going to heaven. I want to know him. In the words of George Harrison, I want to know who I am why I'm here and where I'm going. If that's you today, this is your moment to make that decision and receive Christ as your Savior and Lord. Maybe for some of you, it's coming back to the Lord and he's waiting with open arms. He's a loving father. Can we just bow our heads and close our eyes in respect to the Lord here for a few moments? Let's just say this together. I'm going to pray a prayer like I prayed when I became a Christian years ago. And Jesus came into my heart and changed my life. He'll do the same for you. As I pray this prayer, I invite you to repeat these words after me. Let's all say it. I'll leave a little bit of space for you to say it line by line. The important thing is that you mean it when you say it because you are talking to God, not to me. We're here to be a witness to you as you declare these words. But it's vital that you say them and mean them for yourself. Let's say this to the Lord together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me, that you died for my sins, and that you rose from the dead. I believe it. And today I turn from my sins to follow you. Come into my heart. Change my life. I receive you as my Saviour. And I boldly confess that Jesus is Lord. Lord, I'm going to love you and serve you for the rest of my life. I thank you for forgiving me, for accepting me, for making me your child. God, my Father, and heaven, my eternal home. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look, uh, before we go any further and, and start to wrap things up here this morning, I want to just say this. I want to remind us of the words of Jesus. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. And so I, I'm going to take a, an initial step here. But one of the ways that we can do this as an initial step is I'm going to count down to three. And when I get to the number three, if you prayed that prayer for a first time or you were praying it to make right with the Lord, to come back to Him. You know, perhaps you've been living in a way that you know doesn't honour Him. Maybe your secret life, your, your in private life, if, as it were, doesn't match up to your public testimony in church. And actually you're saying, you know what, I, I need to get things straight with the Lord. And you prayed that prayer to get things straight and to come back to him. If you're in either of those groups, when I get to the number three, I just want you to do this. Here before God and before the family of God to raise your hand and say, yes, I prayed to receive Jesus as my saviour or I prayed to recommit my life to the Lord. Are we ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Just do that right now if that's you. Okay, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Anybody else got bright lights in my eyes? Okay. Look, that's tremendous. And I do want to encourage you, in a few moments, we're going to give opportunity for those who need healing, healing ministry, to come forward for prayer. And, uh, but I want also those who raised your hand to admit you are coming back, you're either giving your life to Jesus for a first time or recommitting your life to the Lord, come and join us too. We'd like to welcome you and to pray 
for you. So what I'm going to do at this moment is I'm, I'm going to just pray and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit just to show me just perhaps some, some words of knowledge and uh, uh, just see what the Father is doing here. I'm aware that uh, time is starting to come in. That we're officially kind of wrapping up at 12. I wonder if Danny could come back and just come and, and lead us in a bit of worship. Maybe some of the pastors, if you're available, to come up the front and join me to be ready for, to pray for people. If we could have some of the pastors here, that'd be great. Just the pastors out, that'd be fantastic. It was so, um, so moving in Rotherham last week over there with AD and the guys. There was a quite tall Nigerian gentleman, very smartly dressed, about six foot three, big guy. Came to see me at the end of the Sunday evening service. And he said to me, John, I just wanted to thank you so much for praying for me last year. He said, we were still going through the pandemic times and I got COVID really bad. It was touch and go whether I would live. He said, they rushed me into hospital. They did a scan of my heart and discovered that um, there was only a, a tiny, about like a third or something of his heart that was still operating. He said, this thing had just, he said, everything was shutting down. They were gonna rush me in. Um, they let me come out just briefly because the hospital was so overrun with people and, uh, and they were calling me urgently for a week later that I was to go in for major heart surgery to try and save my life. He said, but actually you guys um, were ministering in the churches at Liberty and you had this word about someone with a major heart condition and actually that, that you were having to, to go in for surgery but that the Lord was going to heal you. He said, at that moment, he said, I came forward. You put your hand on my chest. And I felt God move on the inside of my heart. I went back as I was supposed to go. They were going to do another scan before they operated. But when they did the scan, they looked at me and they said, we do not understand this. We have the scan showing only a third of your heart is operating. And this scan, as you've come in here, shows you have a perfectly normal heart. We're canceling the operation. That's our Jesus. And I want to say, it, it, it's not because of who I am. I'm an ordinary bloke. I'm not really ordinary. I'm a son of the king, just like all of us here are sons and daughters of the king. There isn't such a thing as an ordinary Christian, you know. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, what I want to say is this, is that all believers can lay hands on the sick and then recover. As we move into a time of healing ministry here, I'm just going to...